The following is a member of the Growler Media Podcast Network. Find out more at growlermedia.com. Comey Snake. Welcome back to Escape from New York Minute, where we celebrate and analyze the dystopian classic one minute at a time. I'm Eric Deutsch. And I'm Molly Balin. And joining us today and this entire week, we have from BK on the air, the appropriately named BK. Pleasure to be here again, guys. I escaped Mongo with Flash Gordon with you guys a few months ago, and I'm glad you got me back to Escape from New York now. Yes, PK was yes, <laughs> on uh, Flash Gordon yeah. Minute, and, and his reward is being sent to Manhattan Prison. <laughs> <laughs> or St. Louis, one or the other. Yeah, right, yes, right. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's right. AKA uh, Manhattan yeah. Prison, yeah. <laughs> uh, today's minute is Minute 40. It starts out with that guy still banging on the manhole covers that we saw at the very end of the last minute, and it ends with some people coming out of the sewers. So... Uh, my, my question about this guy who – I'm going to open up the minute here with, with our, our friend here that starts out the minute. Do you think this guy is like an advanced scout? Um, do you think this is a coveted position or do you think <laughs> it, it's like the newbie position? The, you know, the new guy has to be the one that actually is the first one out. What, what are your thoughts on, on the, the status of this person? Well, I, I actually think that uh, – I. I agree with you that he could be a newbie guy, a newbie scout, but I have a I have a idea of what he's tapping out with his with his piece of pipe there. Could he possibly be typing out Morse code that says it's Snake Pliskin? I thought he was dead, maybe. <laughs> <laughs> That's just a thought. So, I mean, come on, oh, everybody else says it. Does, does, is there if any <laughs> listener knows Morse code, please tell us. Please confirm yes, that please. Case. this will be an incredible escape from New York Minute exclusive. <laughs> I think it's fantastic, though. And, and you know, the, especially the um, we know now from from delving into this that uh, that the manhole covers are I, I've read that they were made of wood because they're just too heavy for the actors to pull back and come out like that. But uh, but, yeah, I, I agree with you. I think he's a, I think he's an advanced. I think he's a new guy. They sent the new guy out there first. What do you think? You know, I hadn't considered it. I, I saw it the other way that it was a coveted position, that he was the the early riser. I don't know why I had the sense that they were, I mean, they could be up for hours, but I because of the way they move, I have this psychological shorthand that they're just waking up and he's the wake up call for people to like get up and go. So he's like the town crier. So I sort of had this association that... I want to be the guy who bangs on the manholes. <laughs> right. I mean, it's a fun job getting to do that. Yeah. Yeah. And let's talk about how it looks when, when at least the one guy comes out of the uh, sewer hole uh, through the manhole cover. He comes out and, and the steam just rises up with him. And that was a great touch. I love that. That looks great on film. Yes, absolutely. And I mean, you know, here in New York, it, it's it's well known that there's always steam coming up from the manhole covers and then coming up from the sewer grates and stuff like that i mean you see it every day uh, when you work in manhattan so uh it, you know a nice little touch of uh what's sort of a- accuracy there is there, there a steam? reason for that oh i'm sorry go ahead <laughs> no go, no it's okay I, I i don't know is there is there a reason for that uh i think uh, boy not see now uh i i funny it's so ubiquitous that it's one of those things that you just accept it and you don't even bother to like look into why i it, if i had to guess i'd say it's just like all the the heat and the steam that must build up under the streets i mean the subway stations themselves are disgustingly hot in the summer 
they're 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 not climate controlled, and you'd think being underground maybe you know they wouldn't be too bad. But the underground subway stations, you're just if it's a hot day, you're just sitting there roasting, waiting for the train to come. Mm. So uh, I mean, this is coming from the sewer, which is just filled with you know God knows what gases are floating around in there. Uh, so it's probably just yeah, gas and heat. Well, when we have a good rain in Atlanta lately with the uh, the weather we've been having and the humidity, the steam just kind of lingers in the air. We don't need to open a manhole cover for it to steam <laughs> here. It's terrible, mm. at least here lately. But, yeah. You know, the guys, the lurking movements in the background, especially while when when, when Kurt Russell as, as Snake is standing there and those great John Carpenter trademark shots, which they're all over this part of the, of the film, uh, when things are going on in the background, the lurking and the movements in the background, which every like a quick movement is always accompanied by a music coinciding like a John Carpenter sting of music as soon as something moves to catch your attention. That's that's all. That's there's a lot of that going on here, and I think it's uh, I think that's great with it going on in the background. Okay, I quickly googled, so I'm going to redeem myself here as a New Yorker. <laughs> The steam usually condensation results from cooler water like rain falling through manhole covers and comes into contact with the extremely hot pipes below street level. Oh. It's it's science. (laughs) (laughs) Yes. Perfect. Makes perfect sense. (laughs) And uh, you mentioned uh, a, a couple of minutes ago about the, the manhole covers made out of wood and yeah any any the manhole covers anything that's he- that would appear to be something heavy in real life in this movie was made out of balsa wood which is an incredibly light wood of course and they, they it's a wood that can be easily painted and, and it looks heavy but is is very light to pick up and so that that was used in a lot of stuff in this movie. when you got a good director like carpenter you got competent actors that can actually make it look like it's heavy and a real manhole cover along with the accompanying sound effect of the metal scraping you can you can totally buy that it's a manhole cover i never knew that till i actually delved into it yeah no i didn't either yeah and uh, of course last name's carpenter so of course (laughs) (laughs) yeah (laughs) that's right so these are the crazies coming up out of the sewers and uh, uh, from under the streets. And it's, this is, you know, a pretty standard trope, the underground dweller in futuristic movies and science fiction movies. You know, the time machine has the Morlocks and uh, Marvel Comics has a group called the Morlocks that was named after them. The future Futurama, the cartoon, has a whole kind of gross mutated society living underground. So, you know, this this is a pretty common theme in in this kind of movie especially in science fiction you're right because i can recall the uh the pilot movie of buck rogers in the 25th century where buck actually goes out into the forbidden area where he's not supposed to go and a group of people much like the crazies kind of attack him banging on things with a, with a pipe in that so i it's very much looking very much like the crazies from escape from new york but i think buck rogers was first in 1979 but it's just that's how they look that's how a post-apocalyptic group of people usually look right yeah they need to do some yoga or something or i don't know if they've got like some <laughs> osteoporosis kind of going on or what or if, I, I don't know what the sewer system's like in manhattan maybe it's maybe you really can't stand up i i have this more batman sort of association where you have a lot of ceiling hype and maybe you don't maybe it's just like three feet and then when you finally get out you're like oh my god i'm having some difficulty standing up straight where's the chiropractor yeah. You're, having to, you're having to stay hunched over all the time. It's terrible. Right. And so you just get accustomed 
accustomed to that. So, you know, when you do your crazy 5K through the streets of Manhattan, you're going to be, you know, at like a 45 degree <laughs> angle while you're moving. So that's, so that's hilarious. That's something that never hit on. It's like, hey, look, it's the crazies 5K here. Let's, <laughs> let's, let's take place and go up Manhattan and down uh, Metropolitan and back up uh, the other road. That'd be, that would be hilarious. <laughs> And of course, uh, uh, yeah. oh, go ahead. No, no, no. I just, you know how they have rainbow runs and they have um, like black light runs. Like there really should be an escape from New York, you know, 5K where you have a group of people who are crazies and they just like run after you. And then you have like actual motivation to like the run. Duke. <laughs> the, the Duke could be in charge. It could be called, it'd be called the Duke Dash, the Duke <gasps> 5K Dash. Dude. <laughs> well, don't they, they have stuff like they have zombie encounters now right where you have to the people actors dress up as zombies and you have to avoid the zombie attack so this is sort of you know like that in a kind of immersive experience theater totally yeah same kind of jam yep they they do a walk they would do a walking dead uh since they film it down here in in the atlanta area they have a walking dead run that where they come after you in a factory here we have to get away it's pretty cool okay that's cool yeah that's awesome and of course, probably the the most Duke Dash. Of course, probably the most famous underground New York City dwellers, probably beneath the Planet of the Apes, the freaky right missile nuclear missile worshipping mutants. I reveal myself, my true self. Yes, to my bomb or whatever they said. <laughs> <You're right. laughs> so, and let me yeah. just say that. So there, there's over the years there have been these reports of like very gigantic settlements that live under Manhattan in the subway tunnels and in the sewer systems. And, and people have even written books about supposedly, you know, that it stretches miles and miles under the whole Island and there's mayors and governors and a whole ordered society. And there, there might be small groups of people in, in certain areas, um, maybe even as large as, you know, at one point there might've been a, a group or two that might've been close to a hundred people even, but it, it is, there is not some gigantic, underground society here in new york city that has thousands of people living under the streets with you know one person ruling them all and stuff like that i I just i have to say that well how interesting that you bring that up because i don't want to spoil it for the next minute but in the next minute we're going to be talking about season hubley yes uh uh, there's going to be in a scene coming up and she was in a film and i'll talk about it in the next minute i don't want to spoil it that was she was in a movie that dealt with just that only the underground society was in london Ah. like that and i'll hit i'll hit on that later i didn't want to spoil it but you're right about that a tease for tomorrow's episode that's right a tease (laughs) i just you know I think I'd rather live in the sewers of Manhattan than London because you got a few extra thousand years of whatever's floating around underneath <laughs> there to deal with. <laughs> well, and I guess the Manhattan one is more modern. So, like, maybe I feel like it won't smell as bad because maybe, like, <laughs> the London one's got, like, rotting wood maybe and stuff in it because it's so old that just adding to the stench. Right, right. Yeah. London, I just... L- London, England isn't known for its cuisine and its food, but but New York is. So even the bad food that's been thrown away in New York would be better than the London food <laughs> in the tunnels. You're right. Yeah, fair. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> It's kind of early on, but it's like second 14. And I don't know if you guys know of this or not, but I had to go back and I reviewed it. So I know this isn't what I perceived it to be, but, you know, this is kind of the gem of doing movies by minute is you get a little bit of time and you can you know, look at these things a little closer. But 
I interpreted that there's uh, a high heel chair. Do you have you guys seen these before? They're like a kind of like a pop art chair where it's in the shape of like a high heeled shoe, but it's kind of like one of those fun kind of furniture pieces. Well, I had interpreted that on his right that that's what it was. That someone had just thrown one of those out. It was it looked like a red, a giant red high heeled shoe. Wow, I've seen those in uh, in thrift stores before, but I, I missed it in the scene. So there is one there. Yeah, no, it, it wow. now. I've never seen it. It looks like it. It looks wow. like it. It's actually a tarp if you pull it back a little farther when he's <laughs> doing his like masculine contemplative chair thing at the very top <laughs> end. But for me, I was looking at it, I was like, oh my God, did they who would throw away such an amazing chair? So <laughs> I always wanted one when I was a kid. And I was like, I was so really excited for him. And then I was like, why are you not sitting in that? Is it just like too moist? And you're afraid that it's just gonna like soak through your pants since you don't want to do that. But yeah, it's just a tarp, folks. So in case case anyone was really excited it's one of those awesome pop art chairs it's it's not but it kind of looks like it <laughs> I've, I've seen those before they were actually i think they were big in the in the 70s and just kind of kept rolling along <laughs> <laughs> you can find them still every now and then if you look real hard i'm gonna put that on my resume <laughs> <laughs> that's hilarious well can, can we talk a moment about the um of how, how the street looks. There's that shot of Pliskin walking down the street with people running around in the background. But I just want to give some kudos to uh, to cinematographer Dean Cundley because, I mean, what an extensive body of work the guy's had. He's worked mm-hmm. with Car- not only Carpenter and Spielberg, but a lot of other things. And I, I had no idea that he was the second unit director on Deep Rising, the giant underwater monster movie that came out in 98. So that was something that I learned. Uh, digging into this and uh, the scene where Pliskin's walking down the sidewalk, uh, most of the most of the um, it's green and blue mm-hmm. uh, are the streets. And I and I take it that's supposed to represent the street lights that are on or whatever. But the, it's regular, straightforward lighting on Kurt Russell and the buildings in the background. So it makes up for a good it makes for a good um, conflict there in lighting, which is which is a good thing because it looks great. That that lighting that's that's in the background and the green blue from the uh, street lamps. Oh, I agree. And I actually had a question about that. Um, and Eric, do you remember when we were talking about this earlier in, you know, minute of it all blurs together now, but <laughs> that there's, there seems to be electricity here because there's street lights. And I kind of thought they were like, not pimping electricity so much here that it was, there was uh, a few generators people had kind of monopolized that to a certain degree. But I found it interesting that they do have working street lights here. And my next thought was, well, can somebody basically divert that somewhere down the road if you have the know-how i just thought that was an interesting thing in this particular scene that we're we're seeing that yeah i'm trying to remember that was a while ago i know that i remember them saying that there was something about they found a power source from somewhere i feel like i remember remy making some comment we don't know where they're getting their power from but that some people yeah something about generators uh so it's got to be that someone has for some now, I don't know why this specific streetlight would specifically have been given power. It doesn't really make a lot of sense uh, because, like, why this streetlight at night? I don't. I mean, the crazies live underground, so I doubt that they're doing it. But I, I you know, uh, I, I'm remembering something about that. And as 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 I'm 
talking, I'm kind of stalling for time trying to find my notes from that minute. I think you're right. It was Remy. Now now that you mentioned it, I think it was Remy who was talking about that. And maybe when he was suiting up, you know, they had the, the table full of goodies for him yeah. to pick up. I, f- I feel like it was that scene. But I was like, huh, that's interesting that they have. And I understand it's just, you know, low budget, whatever. But I was like, huh, that's interesting that you guys have a lit up street here when the context has been that electricity is really at a premium well, there's also that factor of uh, even even today and for the longest time, prisoners in a prison uh, will find ingenious ways of making things and doing things and repairing things. And I can only think with all the people that are on the, the island of Manhattan now as a prison with how many people are there now that they've got to be some really smart criminals that they that they place there. So uh, human ingenuity will probably find a way to get things like that done if you put them all together. Mm, absolutely. Yeah. And I, we've talked about this kind of off and on, but I think that would be the gem if this was ever turned into a TV show, is to be able to see what kind of strange technology people cobble together when they just have what they have there. And there's no influx of new stuff to really work with. We've hit on something pretty great that I didn't even think about. What a great uh, TV show or something on Netflix that this would be if it was a prequel show to see how this was actually how this actually came about on the island of Manhattan. The prequel to Escape from New York would be a would be a great ongoing series. It would, yeah. I certainly would watch that with all those writers we have now writing the great shows that are out now. And uh, now, have you guys heard about the? I don't want to change subjects here, baby. Have you heard the 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 little the little tiddling that's going on out there in the in the entertainment world about a possible prequel film to escape from new york with chris hemsworth as 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 pliskin have you guys heard about that at all i that, have heard of that yeah yeah i don't know where that, that, where I, that I, ever I, went. I gotta be honest that's that's a new one to me <clears throat> yeah i read it a couple of times over the past month and I, I don't know if it's some sites you can't you don't know it's just rumors and whatnot and then some sites are more reliable than others but i did read that on a couple of sites but again another interesting way to go would be a prequel uh, so to chris, chris would be playing snake yeah he, he was now after 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 Kurt's portrayal, it would be kind of shell shocked to, to see anybody else in it at first. But you know, you can use anybody. And Chris is Chris is he's capable of doing things. But uh, but I heard that over the past month. I've heard talking about that. Yeah, and I couldn't tell if that was bullshit either. Uh, yeah. You know how it is. They, you know, get into talks and things get leaked right. and, you know, if they're they're getting trying to get money together, but then somebody drops out of it. But, yeah, I, I've seen that written a few times as a, yeah. you know, I, I wasn't sure where they were at with that. But, yeah, I've, I've seen that, too. It certainly be interesting uh, to see where they go with it. But uh, I think that probably a Netflix show would be would be more the way to go. What with the Dark Crystal coming out as a, a prequel show, uh, mm. uh, an old movie. So yeah. So I want to talk a bit about uh, this. There are a few items about the sound in this mo- uh, in this uh, minute. Uh, first of all, we've got minute number five uh, with absolutely no dialogue, and our first time of two minutes in a row. So uh, fortunately for UBK and last week's guest, it worked out that those two minutes were split among the two weeks. So you or him didn't have to deal with having two minutes in a row with absolutely no dialogue. (laughs) (laughs) But, you know, as we know, examining movies by minute, you think, wow, what am I going to talk about during this stretch of two minutes with no dialogue? But once you start really looking at things and examining things, you really find and come up with some things to talk about. Right. And I want to call out the the Foley sound in this minute of the crazies running on the ground. I think it's really good because it's not, it doesn't sound like just footsteps. It sounds like creepy footsteps, I, and I, which obviously the crazies are. And so I just, I, I really stood out to me the 
the Foley work in this minute. Not just footsteps, but creepy footsteps. Exactly. That's actually, that's actually yep. creepy when you say it. <laughs> <laughs> <clears throat> and speaking of creepy, so the song that plays during this minute is called The Crazies Come Out. On the soundtrack, it's actually the second half of the same track of Back to the Pod that we heard back in minute 38. And I think this is the creepiest sound song on the soundtrack as well. It is pretty creepy. And I, I, as far as John Carpenter and his music composing goes, there's not many. I, don't, I can't think of another director that sometimes does his own music to his films. He's one of those rare guys that 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 does that. But, uh, but listening, my wife was knowing, knowing what I was getting ready to do the Escape from New York podcast. And she knows I'm a John Carpenter fan. So I've watched several i love most of john's movies and uh, sometimes i'm watching one she'll hear it from the other room and go hey is that uh halloween or something from the next room and she was hearing the music from escape from new york but not knowing what it was and she yelled from the other room is that christine i'm like no it kind of sounds like it though she's like Mm. is it halloween no it's kind of sounds like it it's the driving synthesizer you guys know that he uses and uh and uh, she gets them mixed up them sometimes i think it's pretty funny well, I just wanted to say I used I did use uh, Google Maps to pinpoint some of the St. Louis locations that we know that this was filmed at, uh, but it's more ex- it's more shown ex- extensively in, in minute forty one, which is coming up tomorrow, and I can hit on some of that tomorrow. But as far as anything else goes, um, I just wanted to add that uh, the Escape from New York was actually one of the three rated R films in nineteen eighty one that I actually snuck into a movie theater and saw when I was nineteen <laughs> years old. Uh, yes, <laughs> one of one of three now. The other two were Excalibur and Ghost Story were the other two films that came out in 81. So I don't know what it was about 1981 that made me want to violate the Motion Picture Association of America's <laughs> age admittance code. But I did three times. So Say, how, say again how old, how old you were? I was 15 in 1981. Ah, yeah. okay. So that so what? Tell, tell us about your, your history with the movie then since, since you brought it up. How, you know, do you remember actually seeing the movie in the theater? Yes. Again, I snuck in to see it and, and two others that year uh, in the theater and uh, fell in love with it then. And I think I actually I actually can can um, equate two films with Kurt Russell that John Carpenter directed that, that turned me into a Carpenter fan. The first was uh, was his Elvis television movie with Kurt Russell. Oh. And that's where it actually all started for me because I saw that long before Halloween because I was a little older when I saw Halloween. I was much too young in '78 to see it. I could I didn't didn't do any sneaking in '78. I was really <laughs> too young to get out then. And then I saw Escape from New York, and that's where my that's where my journey with uh, with John Carpenter started. And uh, I never looked back. So that was that was really memorable. And the and the and the poster. I actually think out of all the John Carpenter posters for his films, the one sheets. I really think. Escape from New York is probably the best poster of all of his films, even with, yes, I know the Statue of Liberty's head is on it, but it's not knocked off in the film. It's completely intact. But we'll use a little creative, let him do a little creative license there and get away with it. But uh, but I think that poster in the uh, and the art film art uh, motion picture poster art is actually thank goodness it's making a comeback because i got really tired of the of the photoshop faces on posters over and Mm -hmm. over again Mm -hmm. but but uh, movie poster art is an art form in itself and uh escape from new york's poster is a really fantastic absolutely And, and what other way to show uh an apocalyptic future of, of of doom than using the, the the statue of liberty i mean planet of the apes did it deep impact ai independence day day after tomorrow all these movies destroy the statue of liberty because it's that symbol that we love and i'm like oh you're going to destroy that that really gets your point across 
Mm-hmm. So yeah, I really, I really thought it was a great poster. Yeah, I agree. I appreciate it because it's all analog. It was painted. So yeah. Oh yeah. Yeah. Total I mean, art. it's, it is total art. Yeah. Yeah. It's mighty, mighty impressive. Got Drew Struzan that would do a lot of the, the Star Wars posters. You had a Robert Amsel that did uh, a lot of the uh, Indiana Jones posters. There's, there's true art by artists, and uh, it was it, it's making a comeback that I'm very glad and fond of. Amen. Well, BK, let us know uh, out here in the interwebs where people can find you. Well, I appreciate you guys having me on again. Uh, by the way, you can hear me 10 a.m. till noon. It's BK on the air, 10 a.m. till noon Eastern at WBHFradio.org. That's WBHF here in the Atlanta area. And uh, 10 a.m. till noon Eastern, you can hear me uh, download the TuneIn app or go to our website, WBHFradio.org, and stream us online if you're if you're too far away, which is fine. But uh, we talk about uh, nostalgic retro geekiness, that cool uh, uh, schoolhouse rock feeling that you got on Saturday mornings and movies of the past, the present, and even ones from today, like the Marvel films. We talk about everything. And even if a John Carpenter escape from New York um, anniversary comes around, we'll talk about that too. <laughs> Sweet. Well, thank you, BK, for joining us for Minute 40. BK is going to be with us all week long. You can follow us on Twitter at NYMinutePod, also the Facebook group Brains Library, the Escape from New York Minute Hangout. And I want to give a little gratitude shout out to our pod fathers, Pete and Alex of Star Wars Minute, who helped to pioneer the Movies by Minutes format of which this podcast is based. And with that, be on time, stay out of the sewers, and we'll meet you on the other side of the wall. Mm-hmm.